would I like to make another one? Yeah, I, I, I would like to make another one. So I, I had such a great time working with Deb and the actors that we had in this were so great to work with. And the crew just, I can't tell you, it was so wonderful to work on. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to get to work every day. And, that, you know, on a long shoot like this, that's, that's something, that, you know, right to the end. I, I, um, I just love the experience of it. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Dagobah Dispatch. I am Lauren Morgan and though both Dalton and Devin are stuck in a spaceport on the Outer Rim this week, never fear because joining me are two of my other favorite Star Wars nerds, EW writers Nick Romano and Christian Holub. We will be talking about our reactions to the penultimate episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi as well as getting Nick and Christian's thoughts on the series so far. Also, we have Dalton's new interviews with Ewan McGregor and Moses Ingram. But before we get to those interviews, let's open the blast doors for Nick and Christian. Guys, welcome to Dagobah Dispatch. Before we get to talking about this very exciting episode, let's talk about what you guys have thought about the show so far. Nick, do you want to go first? Sure. I mean, first of all, let me just say I'm so excited to be here because, Lauren, you are like the Star Wars aficionado. I'm, <laughs> I always love picking your brain about all the very specific um, nuanced Easter eggs and everything. Um, so thank you so much for having me here. Um, yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed... Um, this show so far i feel like it still kind of has a little bit of like the pacing and kind of format as you know, we've seen from the mandalorian but i mean i came for you and mcgregor and they are delivering um <laughs> i was really shocked at how much leia was involved in this show um but the more that i see her the more i like it because it makes me think back to the very first scene of leia that we see in the entire Star Wars franchise and A New Hope. And it kind of helps set up like that relationship about why in her moment of need, she reaches out or she asks R2-D2 to reach out to Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, which I find is becoming more interesting as the show is going on. And how about you, Christian? What are you thinking? Yeah, um, like Nick, I wanted to start off by thanking you for having us on. Um, of course, we all worked together on EW's big Star Wars character ranking uh, for May the 4th last month, which was a lot of fun. Um, and so really excited to be on the show and and continue our, our fun Star Wars conversations. Um, you know, I think my thoughts about the show and, and about this episode are going to go hand in hand a little bit. Like, I, I think it's, it's good that you had me on to talk about this episode, because I think this episode ta uh, solves some of my issues with the show or, or fills some of the voids that, um, you know, I thought were kind of lacking in the show. Overall, um, I think the show's a lot of fun. The lightsabers look great. Lightsabers are always my favorite part of Star mm -hmm. Wars. And there's a lot of lightsabers uh, in this episode. There was a lot in this episode, yeah. Overall, I think, you, you know, Nick compared it to the pacing of Mandalorian. Um, it's certainly, I think Obi-Wan is in keeping, its storytelling structure is in keeping with the recent Star Wars shows. But especially early on, I couldn't help but notice a, a, a marked difference, at least from the first season of Mandalorian. Which what I enjoyed about that show is that it was like, especially when it began, is that it was built. It seemed my friends and I always compared it to like a Saturday morning cartoon. That like those early episodes of The Mandalorian were like 
planet of the week, like adventure of the week. Like <laughs> he and he and Grogu go from planet to planet. They find new characters. They find new things. And it felt like a TV show. Obi-Wan, by contrast, like we know this was originally planned as a movie, you, you, you know, years. There have been rumors about it for years. Um, yeah, after Solo's bad box office performance, it was, I think, like Book of Boba Fett, one of those things that might have been a movie that has been retooled as a show. And the creators and people involved certainly talk about it that way. They keep saying that it's basically like a six-hour movie. The episodes are named accordingly. They're all part one, part two, part three. Um, and, you know, nothing necessarily wrong with that. A six-hour movie is certainly better than mm -hmm. an eight-hour movie or a ten-hour movie or, or whatever. Um, but, but especially early on and in the first episode, I was just like, this is like an hour of setup that if this was a Star Wars movie would be like five to ten minutes. And so I was feeling kind of the lag early on. Um, but of course, as it's gone on, you know, we've gotten to know the characters better. Uh, we've gotten more action. We've gotten more Vader. We've gotten more lightsabers. Um, so I'm definitely liking it more. Um, I enjoyed this episode. Uh, it delivered on a lot of what I've been hoping for from the show and, and certainly gets me excited uh, for the finale next week. Yeah, I, I can't even believe we're at the penultimate episode, but let's let's dive right into this one because this was a pretty big eventful episode. We've got uh, we got Hayden unmasked, which a lot of people were wondering, like, why bring back Hayden if you're just going to stick him under the helmet? So we finally got to see Hayden. Um, and then we got to find out what Reva's backstory was and the sort of shocking surprise that she's not really joining up with Vader. She's trying to kill him. Which, uh, you know, I thought <laughs> was a little bit like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then, you know, we've also got uh, Tala's sad departure and all that kind of stuff. But I thought, like, last week, I enjoyed last week's episode. I know a lot of people didn't. But I just did en enjoy seeing um, Obi-Wan kind of get back into his groove. And, you know, a lot of what I need in a, a show like this is just seeing a handsome man twirling his lightsaber down a hallway. You know, once I get the lightsabers, I'm pretty happy. So, but it was like, you know, the, this one, the stakes were much higher this week. And I did think this was probably a more effective episode overall, rather than like last week did just feel like, you know, it's like, well, we've got a hold, you know, hold a spot until, you know, the penultimate episode. Right. That's so. kind of what I was thinking is that, you know, as, as fun as the show has been, there's definitely been moments where it's like, okay, okay, this is going on longer. This subplot is going yeah. on, or there's a little contrivance here to fill out the runtime. Um, and that's kind yeah. of annoying. But this one, this episode was kind of nonstop action, revelations, death, emotions, flashback. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. Can we talk about Reva? Because I am so happy about this reveal. I mean, Reva mm -hmm. to me for so long felt like such a one dimensional character. She was just like super bad, like empire zealot, super loyal, loyal. Yeah to Vader and that was pretty much all she had going for her. But this makes now like knowing that like maybe her whole plan like this entire time has been to like avenge like all of her fellow younglings in the Jedi Temple. Like it looking back it makes a lot of the gnarlier choices that she's had to make, including, you know, freezing all these people in that like carbonite goo in like that uh <laughs> in that <laughs> hall that we saw just whatever that was that that strange amber kind of thing that they had. Yeah, like we see a child. Like she already did that to a child mm -hmm. and she tried to do it again um, to, you know, young Leia. And it, it makes it 
that makes it so much more interesting to me, knowing that she was faced with those decisions. She was faced with harming children like Anakin did to her and the fellow younglings when she was little. But she always reminded herself that, no, your main goal is to get close enough to Vader to kill this guy. You know, sneaking up behind him, I'm still not sure was the best idea. But, you know, I did enjoy, I really did enjoy their fight. But I was like, you're sneaking up against Darth Vader. I mean, he's not like, come on. You, you know, you really aren't going to, to get one up on him. I just wanted to, to say that since I've just been dinging the pacing a little bit, this is uh, actually an advantage of the pacing is the very first scene of the show is the flashback to the younglings getting killed and a couple of them escaping. And, mm-hmm. you know, if if this revelation was happening an hour later, maybe it would be easier to spot. You know, I kind of suspected that maybe Reva was one of those younglings, but because it's at the very beginning of the show and they have that Benny Safdie character in the first episode who's one of the younglings, kind of throws you off a little bit. That's where I got I got thrown off. Like Dalton mentioned it like uh, in our first reaction to that episode. And I was just like, oh, I was completely thinking about the Benny Safdie character and I wasn't thinking that, that it was her. And I was like, well, well, yeah, now it's kind of like obvious that she was a youngling at the yeah, time. Yeah, but, e- but even so, you know, I, I guess I was just assuming or guessing that... Um, she was one of those younglings and the experience just totally broke her and, and she was mm-hmm. now this, this evil person. And so um, the fact that she's playing this long game, um, you know, going, going with the flow in order to get close to him uh, to kill him um, was a wrinkle I did not expect. Um, I can't say that uh, her plan seems to be going spectacularly well, uh, which is not really. kind of the tragic dimension to a plan like that is if you make all these, sacrifices and you carbonite all these kids just for the chance uh you know to stick a knife invaders back and then you blow your shot like okay then it was all for nothing like that's kind of a i, I like the the tragic uh, futility of that as she's kind of you know and we, obviously we haven't seen the last of her but she's laying gutted um, yeah. in the sand i have to say that you know star wars has a continual issue where they're stabbing people in the gut and they're just like i'm just gonna walk away from this the <laughs> only person dead. who actually yeah the only person who actually died after getting stabbed in the gut was han solo everybody else has survived so and even far. he i think was it, it's the upward thing it's through a it's through the heart and then he falls into some pit they're forgetting the key part of killing someone in star wars you have to then knock them into a pit then, and then it explodes. But then again, you know, Palpatine somehow returned. Well, yeah, who um, knows? <laughs> but we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, but overall, though, I, I mean, interesting to see at the end that, you know, obviously the Grand Inquisitor coming back solves the big canon issue that most people were assuming, like, there was the, you know, people thought that he had died. And then that created a huge problem because he's very much alive in Star Wars Rebel. So he just, I guess, had spent the last few episodes in a back to tank. And uh, as we know, they love the Bacta tanks. And then uh, he returned to take his rightful place in the Star Wars Rebels canon and take his place back as the Grand Inquisitor. So that was kind of interesting. I am very curious as to what uh, uh, Reva's going to do with that information, that ho- the, the hollow link that she got, which it's like, literally, that's like the most important secret in the galaxies on that hollow. Like maybe Bale should have yeah, encrypted thanks, that information a little yeah. bit. Like, you know, the children and tattoo, like he just says it right out. And you're like, could you have just used like a code word? Like, you right. know, maybe, <laughs> you know, refer to Luke 
can Obi-Wan put maybe a passcode lock on his little hollow yeah, phone? Or, or something. <laughs> you know, you literally have the biggest secret in the galaxy on that little hollow link, and you give it to a con artist to watch. That was my other issue. Glad to see Kumail Nanjiani back, but also, like, when he was like, he's like, he's like, watch Leia. And I'm like, really? Like, this con artist? You're gonna let watch the princess and, like, hold your lightsaber? And you're, I was just like, I know you're in a rush, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but let's think that one through a little bit. What did you think about the flashback where we finally got to see Hayden Christensen? Did it bother you at all that it was obviously an older Hayden Christensen? Or did you just kind of, you know, was it just nice to see him? Hey, I'm a lot older than I was when the prequels came out, too. So <laughs> I am much no, older than I No was. judgment. And I love that they use uh-huh. him. I mean, that was one of my complaints through the first four episodes is like, I'm just sitting here like, if I didn't know that Hayden Christensen was in this show through Dalton's great cover story, through the celebration stuff, I would have no way of knowing because he's not yeah. in it at all. And of course, that goes back to the central. This is the this is the weird thing that makes Vader such a unique character, not just in Star Wars, but in pop culture and in film and TV in general, that he's like played by multiple actors at the same time. And James Earl Jones is the most memorable part. So I'm loving the James Earl Jones, but I'm like, well, then what was the point of bringing Hayden back? I think the, the flashback and, and seeing him um, was probably my favorite surprise of this episode. But the terrible wigs were back, though. Like, the terrible, terrible haircut. What did you think, Nick? Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I mean, do we know, like, officially if Hayden is actually, like, wearing the Darth Vader costume during most of these episodes? Or is it like a... There's, like, three different people. I think it's sort of like what they do with Mando, although I do think Hayden's in the costume a lot of the times. But there's a stunt person... There's Hayden, and then there's another person, I think, that's, like, for, like, the big wide shots where Vader has to be very tall. Like, I think they have to, like, use that. Hayden's not as tall as David Prowse was. I know this was, like, when he films, he's in the suit, I believe, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, and I think he had to have, like, platforms or or boost or something, because not everybody is standing on an Apple box or something. (laughs) Yeah. But I think mostly it is supposed to be Hayden, though... There has been some dodginess over whether they actually did record James Earl Jones or there is a re-speecher credit at the end of the... Yeah, so it does seem like they're using some kind of re-speecher technology on Darth Vader, but we've asked Lucasfilm, they haven't admitted yet or not whether James Earl Jones actually did do the vocal work and they cleaned it up or they have just given him a credit and paid him well for the use of his voice. You mean it's one of it's like you you have someone else do it and you put the James Earl Jones filter on their voice? No, I think it's the same thing that they've been doing with Mark Hamill for The Mandalorian, where it's like they have Mark there, he does the whole thing, and I guess like he like what he's influencing the performance, but the voice that they're using is sort of created through AI to sound like Mark Hamill did in like Return of the Jedi. So I think, I mean, I think it's working better here because that sort of robotic element to Darth Vader's voice works better than Luke who doesn't have a robotic element, but there's still some question as to the process uh, of how they have been creating uh, the Darth Vader voice. This could be like a whole other podcast, but it reminds me so much of that indie movie, the Congress with Robin Wright about like a Hollywood studio, basically recording every facet of this actress in order to use her likeness and, uh, you know, even audible likeness and like future movies, even after she's aged, it's, it's so creepy that this is happening now. uh, It is, (laughs) it is very creepy. I was 
it didn't seem to me like in the flashback where you see Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan dueling, it doesn't look like they used any de-aging tech outside of no. the goofy hairdos. Um, and it just like, and I was kind of glad for that because, you know, whenever they use that, it, you always get into that weird uncanny yeah. valley, like the few times they've done it in the MCU and various other places. And even on the Mandalorian, though, the last time we saw Luke, it was very much improved, but it's, it's just, you know, it's just very strange. So I was kind of glad that they just kind of let them like look the way that they did. Cause they're still both good looking guys. Yeah. Like I, and I, you know, obviously Hayden's older than he was, but we all are. And it was just nice to see him and that they didn't seem to have fiddled with his features uh, too much. A couple things. One is that, you know, he doesn't, you know, he definitely looks older than the Hayden Christensen of the prequels from 20 years ago. But like, I've yeah. seen pictures of Hayden Christensen now more recently, and he looks like that. Like, he, he yeah. you know, he's aged pretty well. He's a good looking guy. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the MCU, and it's kind of interesting. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, laid out with COVID, and one of the things I did was rewatch um, Infinity War and Endgame, and, and I was struck mm-hmm. again by. Um, you know, what a great job uh, Dalton's friend uh, Ross Markin does of doing the Hugo Weaving impression as the Red Skull. Oh, yeah, that's and so true. It's like, <laughs> yeah. As much as we all love James Earl Jones, um, like, I, I think it'd just be better or more comfortable or, or less disturbing. Like, you know, once he's retired or, or God forbid, you know, once he passes on, like, wouldn't it be better to just have like a professional voice actor, like do an impression rather than like filter it through all this weird algorithm stuff i mean it's one of the most impressioned voices of all time you know that's sort of how i feel with some of the mandalorian young luke stuff um because i'm just like you know we've got actors like sebastian stan looks like he could be mark hamill's son if you have mark hamill's blessing you know i think it's okay and i think what we've seen here especially with the casting of young leia who i will admit i love you know i just think she's done a great job sort of showing where Leia is at this point in her life and how she grows into Carrie Fisher. And and I think like that's a really hard task for a little actress to do. Yeah. And she's only 10 years old, like to literally take on this role of an iconic character. But I think it is like, you know, that's what the skill of an actor does is like, yeah. okay, maybe it isn't Mark Hamill, but I think that this whole sort of uncanny valley thing they do with the CGI and it's like, you can do it, but it's like that Jurassic Park is like, you can do it, but should you do it? Right. And it's interesting. You know, I think Kathleen Kennedy gave a quote recently kind of related to this show, just saying that, oh, you know, the, the failure of Solo kind of showed us that we can't recast these classic roles. And I, I don't necessarily think that's the lesson from Solo's failure. There's a lot of weird stuff. You know, they, you fired the directors halfway through. You put it out five months after the most contentious Star Wars movie of all time. Like, there was a lot going on yeah. there. I think this actress, uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, has done a great job as young Leia and Lauren, as you pointed out in your recap of episode five on EW.com today, I really like how her little hacking scene shows that continuity from Anakin and, and that, you know, this is, this really, this is the daughter of the guy who built C-3PO and, and repaired his own, uh, you know, starships and stuff that, that totally makes sense and is a great little bit of continuity in addition to kind of the forward looking continuity that Nick mentioned up top about, we see why, you know, by the time of New Hope and in her time of greatest need back against the wall, she's going to go to Obi-Wan. Yeah, that's what I've I've really liked about seeing this, because it's like they always make the comparisons of Leia and Padme and Luke and Anakin. But I honestly think that Luke is a lot more like Padme and Leia is actually a lot personality wise, a lot more like Anakin. So I think it's kind of interesting to finally see that she is really, you know, even in her temper is also really Anakin's daughter. So 
but I really like Well, here's that. a question. Mm-hmm. So Vader is attacking this stronghold. And he has no, like, he's like, well, I knew that you were the youngling that I almost killed once upon a time. But he has no idea that his daughter is on, like, the other side of the wall. Yeah, that's the thing that, you know, and Nick's shaking his head. Like, that's the thing where it's like, Anakin's so strong in the Force and Vader isn't. And this little kid looks like his wife. Like, seriously. Like, you know, and is the age his child would be. So, and that's why I was wondering, and like, what I mentioned in my, um, in my piece about episode five was like, are we going to see Vader on Tatooine next week? It's almost like he can't be on Tatooine because then it's like, he's just gets too close. I mean, like the fact that there's a Skywalker living with his stepbrother, Anakin's like, you know, not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's not that dumb. I could sort of see a couple scenarios playing out for the finale. Like I could totally see, Vader coming to Tatooine, Obi-Wan forced to go there to protect the Luke. It leads to another lightsaber battle because this this week's episode with all the flashback um, to their, you know, training, you know, lightsaber skirmish. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, is this setting up another kind of big, like new rematch kind of thing? Maybe Obi-Wan beats him and that's Vader's cue to like stay away from Tatooine because Obi-Wan's guarding it. I could also totally see Reva... Um, interpreting that information about Tatooine as, oh, this is Vader's offspring. I'm going to kill them as retribution for the younglings. See, you know what I actually thought was that this might be uh, Reva's turn to, she realizes that there's a youngling who's on Tatooine that needs to be protected. And maybe she can protect this one like she didn't you know, before where I know she's been as an inquisitor and doing a lot of terrible things to other younglings, but maybe there is some, some impetus here that she, you know, she winds up turning out protecting Luke Skywalker. Like I was thinking, I'm like, that would be really interesting. Cause like, otherwise it was like the fact that like, you know, she's been sort of tossed out on her butt, but then she finds this hollow is like, is she gonna go to, I mean, Vader's would probably kill her or force, force choke her if he saw her again. So I'm kind of curious, like, what she does with that information and will she do something we don't expect with it. Also, why did Vader leave her alive? Like I would imagine he yeah, has some other like, role for her to play. It's his, his second kind of time doing it. Game. You would like, think that the takeaway would be like, Oh, remember how she almost killed me because 10 years ago I like didn't yeah. check all the bodies to make sure they were dead. Like better stab yeah. this one a couple times to make sure she's finally <laughs> down. Yeah. You know, I guess that's the lesson of the flashbacks and, and is an explanation yeah. for a lot of this is just like our boy is arrogant. And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I guess some of the explanation is that there are some things that he's on the watch for. He's a Sith. If you're a Sith, not your time is about 50, 50 split between figuring out how to stab your master in the back and also yeah. making sure that nobody else stabs you in the back. So like, it makes sense maybe that he would be more attuned to a threat from his like, like that's what he's thinking about all the time is like are any of my subordinates trying to kill me and and you know he's kind of put away that anakin part of himself and maybe isn't on the lookout to oh you know did any did, did padme die in childbirth and are any of those kids alive like maybe he's closed his mind off to that um uh, but to the po- to your point about the hollow and and whether we'll see vader on tatooine i can believe that you can get away with hiding this kid without changing his name, that he has the same name as Vader, 
yeah. uh, on his home planet at his stepbrother's house. But but it's obviously kind of thin ice. And, and the only thing that kind of keeps it stable for me is like, he can't be there like he can't yeah. go there because then he'll figure it out he hates sand can- and does not want to be near exactly. sand anymore well now <laughs> he gets in his armor <laughs> no. like you know who knows yeah. you're really terrible yeah, yeah i mean obi-wan should maybe keep that in mind that mm-hmm. that's a possible weakness and that's why it's so funny for bale to just blast that out on an unencrypted line or whatever it's just like <laughs> this all, all this all rests on just nobody knowing that's the only way you yeah. get away with it I do like when we go back to the very first episode of um, this season, you know, one of Reva's first interactions was with Ben and kind of threatening his life. So I kind of like that the show is now leading her back to Tatooine as kind of mirroring what we saw in the premiere episode. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, we know we had Joel Edgerton for a little bit in the premiere, so I'm assuming we're going to get a little bit more of him in uh, Aunt Beru as well. We've talked about it a little bit. I like the way that this show has done a couple zags when you expect it to zig and then it zigs like where it's like Mm -hmm. the grand inquisitor's dead wow that's a surprise because you thought he was the same guy as rebels ah just kidding he's he's alive like oh you thought oh you know these younglings got to be important oh i guess it's benny Safdie. just kidding like reva's a reva's one of them too and one of the things that's been fun through the show is that because we start with luke kind of that pivot to leia being way more important in the show and spending more time with leia has been kind of one of the fun surprises of the show, but also it makes sense that we're going to double back around and, and get back to Luke. And, and go back to Luke. Finale. Yeah, that was like what I, I really, I was kind of delighted about because I thought, you know, this show is going to be all about Luke and there was so much discussion of who's getting cast as young Luke and this and that and that. And then they were just like, sh- they were just hiding Leia in plain sight. It's like, no, 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 we're mostly going to be about Leia. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I've, I've kind of really enjoyed. Well, we have to talk about in this episode, also, we said goodbye uh, to Indira Varma's Tala, who uh, sacrificed herself. I really loved her character, so I'm kind of sad to see her go. And I do think this is sort of like a history of, like, Star Wars introducing interesting uh, characters and then promptly killing them like they did uh, Val and Solo. And you're like, oh, this person's interesting. I'd like to see more with them. Oh, no, they're dead. Uh, so I was, I was hoping she would stay alive and perhaps pop up in Andor and, or one of the other later sort of series about the nascent rebellion. But, you know, I, I thought her, uh, death scene was very moving. So what did you guys think about Tala and her work with the Empire and the path? I did like her story arc too. I will say though, I think I felt more, uh, grief for the death of the shipping robot. <laughs> oh, Ned B. Yeah, he was pretty cool. I was like, oh, the baby. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I like this kind of gray area of like the people who are involved with the Empire, people who kind mm-hmm. of joined up for like understandable reasons. Because it's like when you look at the Empire as a whole, it's like, come on, man. Like, there's no way all of these people could have just been like, yeah, let's blow up planets and just like. There are people in there who are, who are just in there for a health plan and like a steady paycheck. That's, you know, that's all I could yes. say. I mean, exactly. I've definitely fallen down my share of Twitter and Reddit, you know, alt right trolling, you know, threads and everything. But <laughs> I'm sorry. No, like, <laughs> I don't think there's enough of those people in the galaxy who would be like, yeah, let's let's kill everybody. Kill the Jedi. You know, I think it makes sense based on where we are in the timeline. And, you know, last week we saw, you know, when they got saved by those those path ships, that was kind of, to me, an evocation of, 
the X-Wing drone strike from Rogue One, as I call it, but much less advanced. You know, they're not X-Wings yet. They're they're not a whole mm-hmm. armada. They're just a couple guys like you guys were talking about it in the episode. Like this is still the nascent rebellion. It's not quite the full rebellion yet. And so the only infrastructure, the only, and you know, of course the Jedi are, are gone and scattered to the wind. So the only infrastructure that exists really at this point is the empire. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense that the only people kind of doing good are going to be turncoats or, or people who are working within the empire who become dissatisfied with it. And they're kind of laying the stones for there eventually to be built a rebellion led by these senators and politicians like Leia and Mon Mothma and people like that. But that doesn't exist yet. You don't have that camaraderie and that solidarity. And I can find this this organization. Um, you know, I think we'll see much more of this in Andor. How that kind of infrastructure gets built out. Right now, it's kind of just like a lot of lone operators finding each other yeah. or doing what they can on their own. Um, and that's a risky position to be in. So it makes sense that she couldn't make it. And then, of course, it just the meta, the stakes of the storytelling. It, it, you know, you 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 drew attention to Solo. You, in a way, you could even compare it to some of the standout characters of the prequels, like Mace Windu or even Padme. Is like mm-hmm. when you're doing a prequel, you know that certain characters are off limits. Like it's like I am watching this to a certain degree, and it's like Godspeed, Reva. But I know you're not going to do much to Darth Vader, like because I know he's around for a long time, and I've never heard of you before. Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't really pop up in Star Wars Rebels, so that's why I was kind yeah. of like, well, you know, the fifth brother still survives into season two, but you know. You know, Leia's ended up baby Leia's ended up in some risky situations. But we know what happens to Leia, we know what happens to Vader, we know what happens to Obi-Wan. So there's only so much stakes you can put around those characters, and so the stakes and the weight of the story does have to rest on the shoulders of the new characters because we don't know mm-hmm. what their destinies are and, and so they can um you know, sadden us by by their noble deaths and and sacrifices, and that's kind of where the twists um, can happen. And Riva, of, of course. Yeah. Is there anything else that you guys noticed from the episode that you thought was interesting? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of uh, read a lot of uh, criticism similar to this. Um, one notable piece was Matt Singer over at Screen Crush. It seems that each episode of Obi Wan is sort of mirroring aspects of um, a particular movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, part one was, you know, Star Wars episode one, part two, episode two, etc. And so in that chronology, we're at, um, I think the Empire Strikes Back, right? Episode five. Yeah. And I love that the Empire is literally striking back against <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan in this episode. <laughs> That's that's kind of funny. I was, I was going to say that, that the thing we haven't really talked about yet is, is kind of echoes of the movies. Um, Mm -hmm. but the thing I was going to say is that I was getting a lot of last Jedi vibes, uh, from this episode, the kind of the, the rebels being trapped behind a wall on like a rocky desert planet, even the little cannon they have that they're like shooting at the wall. I'm like, I thought they weren't making that cannon for 20 years. (laughs) How do they already have a little cannon? It's early tech, (laughs) early tech, you know? Um, and, and, you know, Obi-Wan's whole plan, which is like, I'm going to distract Vader with his hatred of me and that'll open up opportunities for for my friends to escape or, or get a blow in is what Luke does to Kylo yeah. uh, at the end of that film. Those Skywalker men, they have they fall into the same traps. They really they're really bullheaded, yeah. yeah. So if you know how to twist them. But I but what I do like actually even in that comparison is you still you still um Vader still comes off well in that comparison. He doesn't totally yeah. fall for it. Um He's much stronger than Kylo. I mean, I love the. I, I will say there's a lot of cool Vader moments in this episode. 
Um, probably my favorite is stopping the ship with the force. Um, and I guess it's Riva attacking him that allows the ship to get away. But still that moment of him just holding the ship was so cool. Well, it's like him holding the ship and him ripping it out. And you're like, well, they're not going anywhere. And then the other ship taking yeah. off behind him. And I was like, good guy. That's good it. job, guys. That is such a moment from like the force unleashed. That, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where you can just do crazy force stuff. And then the yeah. other Vader yeah. moment that made me yelp was first when he rips the the lightsaber in two, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> you know, whenever he ended up with two lightsabers, I was just like, okay, like, sorry, looks like your goose is cooked here. I, I loved the way he like cracked hers in half and then just gent like just casually threw one back at her, yeah. like. Do your you best. can try, like, and then like two minutes yeah. later, he's like, already taking it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was just like, I, I thought that was such a casual, like, do your best, sweetheart. You're not gonna do it. Yeah. So. And speaking of Hayden, you you know when's Hayden in the costume versus when are mm-hmm. the stuntmen in the costume? You know, I assume stuntmen are in the costume during the fights and stuff. But what I, what I do love about his fighting with Riva in this, and and it's similar to you know his scene at the end of Rogue One and stuff. I do love the way that they do vader's physicality um in these kind of post movies things Mm -hmm. where it's like making him powerful and intimidating and he can wreck people in battle but not particularly mobile while not being particularly mobile or acrobatic like he's clearly a robot guy and yet he's hitting you so hard he's so skilled he's using the four you know she disarms him at one point he just blocks it with the force anyway he's just so powerful in the force that it like makes up for his like the fact that he doesn't actually have arms or legs but it's just like and i just thought that was really interesting the way he was kind of just sort of taught like he he wasn't even fighting her at real like you know full power he was just kind of like all right try this (laughs) this isn't you know Let's see how well you do. It's like when you try to, when you're like, uh, you know, sometimes I play a game with someone who maybe isn't as good at the game as me or whatever, but I want them to enjoy it. So like I play a little below my skill level or, oh, I'll give them some things. And, and, you know, sometimes even so you still like, okay, well, I'm still cleaning your clock. (laughs) And I love that uh, from Vader. I hope we get a, um, you know, looking ahead. um, If we want to do any last guesses about the finale. um, Sure. You know, we had that, you know, we had that first Vader Obi-Wan fight a couple episodes ago that really did not go well for Obi-Wan. And I think that's probably going to end up being, and we saw in this flashback, you know, Anakin uh, beat it, besting Obi-Wan in that duel. And I wonder if that's a little bit of uh, red red herring for what their fight is going to end up being because, and I know that this show is is playing with the original trilogy continuity a little bit and it, and is twisting mm-hmm. a couple things. But when we do have that fateful confrontation between vader and obi-wan in new hope and vader says you know the last time we met you were so much stronger than me you were the master and i was the teacher Uh, yeah i was i was yeah and we've all been thinking you know for all these years that that refers to mustafar where where obi-wan destroys him so i mean but in keeping with that if they do have a collision with you know in the finale i'm looking forward to uh, I think Obi-Wan will, pr- will probably come on top. And, and you know, he's been getting his mojo back over these episodes. And he's not Alec Guinness age yet. He's still a young guy. He's still that Clone yeah. Wars general. And I think when push comes to shove, he's going to be able to beat Vader, especially with this kind of arrogance Vader's been building up. I really love how they have slowly sort of built back his confidence. Yeah. Where it wasn't like just like we had guessed that maybe he would have a connection to Qui-Gon and he would be, you know... he connect back to the force but it's really just been like him getting back into the swing of things and i said this last week you know when it was him having to defend himself he didn't really couldn't find the energy to defend himself but now he has something and 
someone she like he's had Leia to fight for. He has these refugees on the path to fight for. And he realizes that they really need his yeah. help. Like, you know, there's all of these people without, you know, some people force sensitive, some people who aren't, who are just brave people running against the empire. And he hears like a Jedi Knight who was like a master, was general in the Clone Wars. And he, you know, he could be helping more than he has been. And I, I think that's kind of going to be an interesting thing to see. Yeah. Nick, do you do you have any guesses about the finale? Yeah, I mean, well, first let me correct my correct something that I said earlier when I was talking about how one of Reva's um, first interactions in the premiere, I mentioned Ben. No, I, I was trying to. I meant Owen, <laughs> um, oh, which yeah. is uh, which I'm hoping Joel Edgerton will come back um, in the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think I wouldn't be surprised if we got a Liam Neeson voice or uh, ghost force ghost cameo. Yeah. I mean, he said he didn't get asked, but he wouldn't be the first actor to lie about right. being involved right. with a massive franchise. Um, I.e. Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it, if that happens, I think I would guess that it would be like um, almost either like just before the end credits roll, like Obi-Wan's finally centered in the force again and he reaches back out to his mm-hmm. master and he hears a familiar voice or something. Like that's something I would I would kind of buy into. I mean, as I noted, like Liam Neeson's done voices for the Clone Wars. So, I mean, come on, he could he could do it for Listen, this. Listen, we love the man. <laughs> Can't say yeah. he doesn't uh, take a paycheck. Yeah, you know. And, um, <laughs> you know, speaking of, I guess, uh, last note, speaking of those movie references, we were saying referencing Empire, referencing Last Jedi. I, I felt like even uh, Tala's death and and the droid's death protecting her was was reminiscent of Rogue One. Um, you know, I guess it wouldn't surprise me if maybe in the fateful duel with with Vader in the next episode, if that happens, you know, we get a little bit of that Rise of Skywalker moment where Obi Wan has to look inside himself, and that's when he finally because he's been talking to Qui Gon, which I love, with no response. Yeah. But if that's finally when he hears Qui Gon's voice back, the way that Luke did in in New Hope as he's blowing up the Death Star that Ray did when uh, she was fighting Palpatine. Mm -hmm. And maybe like keeping with the chronology of each episode kind of mirroring or paying tribute to a specific movie, maybe the final episode similar to how Luke finds out that Vader is his father in Return of the Jedi, maybe Vader is going to find out that Luke is his son. (laughs) 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 Just throwing that out That would be quite a shocker. That would be quite a shocker. I was thinking that, you know, we might get a Return of the Jedi sort of Force Ghost appearance, like, you know, Qui-Gon over a campfire or something. He and uh, Obi-Wan are talking instead of, you know, Luke seeing his the the three Jedi that know. And what I always what I always like about that is that, you know, this kind of goes back to one of the philosophical underpinnings of the series and what really sets the Jedi and the Sith apart is that the Sith are so focused on emotion and vengeance and, and dealing death and violence and stuff. And certainly we've seen them kill a lot of people um over the course of this show even, because at the center of the Sith mentality is the fear of death. And that's what drove Anakin to the dark side in the prequels in the first place. Um, and mm. what sets the Jedi apart and the wisdom of the Jedi is that death is not the end, you know, and death's not the worst thing that can happen. And, and just because people are dead does not mean that, you know, they're, they're, they don't live within you or their power can't help you. So um, maybe we'll see a little reminder of that. And, you know, at the end of the day, what I really want to see, we've seen the last episode, we've seen it in this episode. I sure do love 
seeing stormtroopers get blown up, sliced apart, <laughs> shot. It just never gets old. It just never gets old as a visual. They still can't shoot they for anything. They can't shoot for like anything. <laughs> they love <laughs> shooting their blasters at people with weapons that can famously defect blasters back at them. Um, yeah. so I always love seeing that. And for as seemingly sturdy as their armor is, they sure do go down with one shot. <laughs> yeah, that armor, not very helpful. It also has pretty visible, the, the cracks in the armor are pretty visible, you know, if you yeah. were aiming. You really can just take out someone's yeah. knee. Oh, or, I'll just you shoot know, just that, like black, that huge black division between your two plates. All right. Well, I think we should probably wrap it up, but thank you both for joining me. And I hope this is the first of many appearances on the Dagobah Dispatch. Yeah, happy to be on. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Lauren. After this quick break, we'll have Dalton's interview with Ewan McGregor. Welcome back. Here's Dalton's interview with Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, Ewan McGregor. Hello there. Good to to chat with you again, man. Spoiler alert. Uh, we know Obi-Wan makes it out of the series alive, uh, but, uh, (laughs) but how do you think you and our perception of the character will change after watching this series? What is this going to like the way we look at this character, whenever you get more material, it sort of alters our perception of that person. So what do you think when we're all said and done, we're going to, how we're going to see Obi-Wan? I don't know that we're going to change our perspective of him because we know, we know who, we know who he was when I played him in the prequels. And we know who he is in the original movie, A New Hope, with Alec Guinness creating him. So it's sort of, it fills a gap between those two entities. You know, like, I always felt that there must be a good story to tell between episode three and four. And we spent a lot of time and energy finding that story. And I think we, I think we did a great job. I have to say, I think um, Deborah Chow is a brilliant director and we're lucky to have her direct all of the episodes. So it really is like her vision. It's one, one person's vision from start to finish. You know, we don't have different directors coming in and out. And she worked tirelessly with the writers to find, to find a, this brilliant story. And I think it's just going to make us understand him more, I guess, from, from where we left him in episode three to where we find him um, with Alec Guinness in episode four. Yeah, you, you told me last time we spoke how you went back and watched all the movies to prep. And it's interesting because you look at Obi-Wan in, in the lightsaber battles in Phantom Menace or Revenge of the Sith. And man, you're really cooking uh, there. And then you look at the Obi-Wan Vader matchup in A New Hope. And it's it's certainly, shall we say, a slower, uh, maybe more deliberate uh, affair. So yeah. it got me thinking if this is sort of in between that, what kind, what kind of swordsman is the Kenobi we find here in between those two time periods? You know, at the beginning of our story, we know that um, it's... 10 years, I think it's less, but maybe eight to 10 years after um, episode three. So Obi-Wan's, you know, we know that the Jedi Order have been all but destroyed and everyone who wasn't killed in Order 66 has fled and is in hiding. Yoda and some of the other Jedis who Obi-Wan would have known and loved are unable to communicate with each other. So he's somewhat, he's much closer to the Obi-Wan Alec Guinness played in that he's on Tatooine and he's a solitary man. He's living a normal, as normal a life as he can. So as not to draw attention to himself because the Jedis are being hunted down to be destroyed. And um, he will know that. And his last responsibility to his old life, if you like, is to look over Luke Skywalker, who is with Owen and Beru and Beru. And um, he's doing that from a distance. uh, So as not to draw attention to, 
their family in the in the moisture farm there. So you, you brought up Owen. Um, uh, clearly, Owen and Obi Wan have a little bit of a of an icy relationship by the time of a new hope. And, and judging by the trailer, it doesn't look too peachy keen here either. <laughs> Just, <laughs> tell me how they view each other. I think they. I think Owen feels like Obi Wan is only cares about the boy because he's a, because he may show um, signs of the force. He may, he may, and he knows that Obi-Wan's pretty sing, single-minded about that. And, and that he, that he, that if, if it seems that Luke Skywalker shows that he has the force that Obi-Wan would want to train him to be a Jedi. And especially at this time when the Jedi are all but wiped out, you know, I don't know. I, playing him, I was split about this because I feel there, there, there's part of Obi Wan who's given up, you know that that he feels like the time of the Jedi is over, that they lost, you know, and and whether he really really means feels that he sort of says it, he feels like that, you know, it's it's done, they lost the battle, but I guess inside, so, and I think Owen wants Luke Skywalker to have a normal childhood, to grow up in an ordinary way, and. And not to be bothered by that. And also there's the risk that if Obi, if knowing that the Jedi's are being hunted down, if Obi-Wan is to be found out and discovered, then he doesn't want him anywhere near Luke Skywalker because they would also take Luke. Yeah. As you went back and watched the prequels, what was your favorite scene you did in those movies, you? And as you went back and watched it, was there a certain scene or moment that stood out for you? Oh my gosh, what a question. Ah, oh, wow. It's very difficult to... I mean, there's so much of it. There's hours and hours of it. And my, my memory, you know, because we did three movies and my memory of making them is so vague because in episode two and three, there was barely anything there. It was all blue screen and green screen. So, I mean, one of my favorite stories to tell <laughs> is delivering Luke Skywalker to Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru because my, my experience of doing that was that I had my friends there. We, me and Charlie and Russ and Dave, who we've gone on to do the long way around trips and long way up and long way down. And um, they were visiting because we were shooting a little teaser trailer for our long way round show, which we hadn't made yet. So we were doing some motorcycling on the weekends. And I said, come on, I'm, we're doing the end scene where I deliver the babies. Come on. And they came down onto the set. And um, of course, it was just a blue stage with blue walls, three sides. There was a blue mound, which is what Uncle Owen and Aunt Brewer are standing on at the end. And a blue gym horse, no handles, just a gym horse painted blue. And it didn't move or anything. It was just a gym horse. And I had to sit on this gym horse with the, holding a, the baby. And I had to sort of pretend that it was moving. I had to sort of lope in like this. And I got down and I gave the baby to Joel. And at the end, I turned around and I, oh, no, I give the baby to Aunt Brew, don't I? And then I turn around and I give Joel a look over my shoulder on the way out. And I get back on the gym horse and pretend to pretend to write out <laughs> just and George shout, look at the moons, look at the moons. And um, it was just such a funny, because of course in the story, in the movie, it's such an epic moment. And the reality of it was just so silly, you know, with the gym horse there. But anyway, that's one of my favorite stories. I, I, I love it. Yeah. I, I talked to, to Deb Chow and Joby Harold, the writer and Kathleen Kennedy about like, look, could, could there be another season of this show? And they're kind of like, well, listen, it was, it was it was all you know seen as a, a, a limited series. Kathleen sort of left the door open, but said we'd have to really have a compelling reason to do it. What about from your perspective? Either not necessarily even in more of this show, but uh, I mean, are you hanging up the cloak for good after this one, or are there more Obi Wan stories to tell? I I oh, it's a difficult one to say for sure. She's right. It was made as a as a 
one-off as a limited series. And in a way, it does do what I wanted it to do in terms of telling a story between, uh, bridging a story between three and four and making and bringing me closer to Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan in, in uh, A New Hope. And so for sure, that's true. Would I like to make another one? Yeah, I, I, I would like to make another one. So I, I had such a great time working with Deb and the actors that we had in this were so great to work with. And the crew just, I can't tell you, it was so wonderful to work on. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to get to work every day. And, that, you know, on a long shoot like this, that's, that's something, that, you know, right to the end. I, I, um, I just love the experience of it. There's something very nice about making, doing work that you know people are going to see for a start. I've spent a lot of time in my career making films that very few people ever saw. <laughs> and there's something nice about going to work when you know this, is, this has already got its audience, you know. And it's nice that now, I, you know, it sounds like a bit pretentious or something, but it's nice to make people happy. It's nice to know that by uh, all of our efforts and making this Obi-Wan Kenobi series, the fans are going are gonna to be stoked, I think. I think they're not going to be disappointed by it. And some, maybe some will, but, you know, you can't please all the people all the time. But I think knowing that people are going to be happy because of our work is a nice feeling. I, 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 music to my ears. I would love to see more. Thank you to Ewan McGregor for joining us. After this break, please stay tuned for Dalton's interview with Moses Ingram. Tell me what it was like working with Rupert and, uh, and Sung on uh, Team Inquisitors. It was fun. It's fun. Every time I hear Reva in my head, or when I say Reva, I say Reva, because that's how Rupert would say it all the time when we were not working. Also, too, those two, they had to get in so much earlier because they had like three hours at least of prosthetics, you know, and they just be sweating through them, especially on the, the very hot days outside. And so I, I had a lot of fun with them. I had a lot of fun with them for sure. I just actually spoke with Rupert and he was he was mentioning it got a little toasty in yeah. his armor. How about you? How about your suit? Did you get a little hot in there, too? Definitely warm, definitely <laughs> warm because it's tight and it's leather and it's like holding everything. And we were working in days that were up to like 100 degrees outside. It was very hot. So how much of, of, of Reva's backstory in terms of you know, how she became an inquisitor, how much was that something you and Deb uh, Chow really spoke about? I mean, well, what was more pertinent to the story is who she is now working for Vader, being a subordinate of his, his as a Jedi hunter and, you know, to please him. She's there to please him and who he wants is Obi-Wan. And that's what she's there to do, work in the offense and always being 10 steps ahead. <laughs> What's her energy versus the other Inquisitors uh, in terms of like, what does she bring? It's a little different from everyone else. She has no regard for what people think about the way in which she does things. I honestly think that's such a beautiful trait to have, to be like, you know what? I feel this way. And if you disagree, that is your problem and not mine. And, you know, I think that's part of what makes her who she is. You know, whether you live or, or die by the end of the show, once a character's introduced, 
into this franchise, you know, they they tend to find ways to pop up elsewhere. You know, even even characters like Cassian or Boba Fett or Darth Maul, who is literally sliced in half, find <laughs> their way back on screen. So, you know, has there been any talk about potentially playing Reva beyond this series, or that's something that you never know could happen? I mean, well, it's Lucasfilm and Disney, they can absolutely do what they want. But what I do know is right now we got a limited six part series and um, people can get all the Reva they want right there. Well, if they come to you and they say we want more Reva at some point, what are you going to say? I'd be down. Sure. Why not? Sounds like fun. It was fun. <laughs> you, you told me last time we spoke that that Reva is like a, just like an athlete. And it sounds like you really got a workout filming this show. What was it like taking on some of the, the physical aspects of the role? Super involved, you know, we, it was intense for about four months. And then the upkeep, even after that, that you have to do um, to keep your body agile and able to do the things that you need to be able to do. But once you get it, you feel really confident in your body and you're less so worried about what you might not be able to hang on to or hold and so on and so forth. So it was a really important part. The training was a really important part of character building as well. I think we spoke, you had just recently done some reshoots and you said one day was particularly taxing. It was, it was a big yeah. day. Yeah. So you got to yeah. maintain, right? It's so important. Ewan told me that sometimes he does uh, a little uh, force wave with his fingers when it comes up on like an automatic supermarket door, like if he's out shopping and there's like an automatic <laughs> door, that'll kind of force force open it to feel like he actually has yeah. the force, which I love. And he's actually been caught by people doing it. Uh, do you ever do that or try to force push things or make like a, a choking motion if someone's pissing you off or anything? No, I've never done that. And I also did not know this yeah. about you. But imagine being the person in the grocery store, seeing you in. <laughs> McGregor walk into the store and doing a force push on the door. I mean, that's a story that you tell it. No one is going to believe you. <sighs> you know, I met you told me a story how when you guys were working, how he dropped his lightsaber. Yeah. When you're working and I was speaking with you and, and, uh, and Hayden together. And I got to tell you, Hayden loved hearing that story. I guess, I guess you and used to always give him crap about dropping his lightsaber. And it was a thing. So when he heard this, he was all about it. He loved it. Oh, it comes back around. I hope you didn't tell him that. I told you that. I sold you out. I oh. sold you out most. <laughs> Had to do it. Had to do it. How how excited are you for fans to start cosplaying as Reva? Oh, it's wild. I've already started getting, you know, different, you know, DMs from fans who've started building out their costumes already before we've even, you know. It's it's really, really, really crazy. It's hard to wrap my brain around. Really, it is. I, when, when we spoke last, you were telling me how you really wanted to work to make sure the way your character was presented in a way where young black kids could dress up as your character for Halloween. And like things like the hair were really important to you and things like that. Moving forward, and now that you know we've seen the trailers, but more kids are going to see this role, how much is that starting to sink in the, the impact that you can have in that way? Um, I know it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. It's important that when we turn on the TV, we see the world that we live in reflected back to us and what we're seeing. Representation is so important. And I feel so blessed that I get to be the vehicle that this character comes forth through. And um, 
Yeah, I am not worthy. <laughs> I am not worthy. We talked a few months back about what it was like being part of the Star Wars universe, and that that was after filming. Now that we're getting closer to the premiere, and you know the two trailers have come out, and you're doing the press rollout and everything, what has that experience been like? It's different, you know. It's the first time that the fans are seeing us out as a cast together, and so you know, it's the first, the really the first time that there's been real, um, real response from people in terms of what it is uh they're seeing and um so the fan part is is new for sure how much do you pay attention to that how much do you like you know that can be a good thing or it can be sort of a dangerous thing reading all the reactions and this and that yeah it's twofold so i try to mind my business you know there's a there's a lot of love out there you know and i'm grateful for the love and there are also you know unfortunately pockets of hate you know but when they go low, they expect us to shut up and take it. <laughs> um, and I, I personally, you know, I don't want to get stuck in muck. So I don't, I don't, I don't get too, too far into that. Nothing but love here. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. I, I appreciate it. I hope Thank we get to chat again you. soon. That's it for this episode of the Dig of the Dispatch. Thank you to our guests, Juwan McGregor and Moses Ingram, as well as EW writers Nick Romano and Christian Holo. If you liked what you heard, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. To keep the conversation going, follow Entertainment Weekly on On Socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglar. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>